Okay. So we had just been talking about how the world um, manipulates us by controlling our instinct. And the basic foundation of that control is through our fear, the things that we're afraid of. And so we're only a, a manipulatable when we are afraid and generally also confused in the sense that we don't really know what's going on and we don't know our way out of it. And so uh, this is actually an easy way to see it in a new way in the sense of when they hear, when you hear their manipulation, instead of latching onto it as if it were true and it has meaning for you, the first thing to do is kind of stand aside and let it go by. And as it goes by, you can recognize that, wait a minute, this was kind of like a bullet that was aimed. That, that this, this uh, remark from this um, broadcaster or, uh, or whatever uh, has, has an intention behind what he says. It's almost always with a mixed message or a mixed motive. And that you can talk about that in the sense of the bait and switch. They try to sell you the bait. And then when you buy it, you don't get what you thought you were going to get. You get something else because they made a switch. And right. that happened yeah. in many places, especially in that um, uh, documentary about. Um, an example of that is in 1920 during the suffragette movement. The tobacco companies who had oh, been yeah. basically by, com by culture banned from women smoking. But Edward Bernays figured it out. How to do that is in the, uh, the uh, suffrage movement marches in the Northeast. Yeah. And there was a lot of them. I mean, this was a big deal. A lot of people yeah. think, oh, yeah, they got the suffrage and then fine, they got it to them. No, this was literally rattling the bed every night all across America <laughs> to get this done. And there was a lot of marches. And so Edward Bernays took advantage of that by hiring well-known women, documented uh, celebrities mostly out of the media and to put them at the front of the parade by fixing it with the leaders of the movement and then gave these women cigarettes to smoke. And so smoking cigarettes became the women's lib symbol almost. Yeah. Look at yeah. how women are manipulated like that. Yeah. It's it terrible a, because that's <laughs> killing you. <laughs> and it's all about money, like you said, and it's, it's so mm -hmm. selfish. And so we, in fact, uh, media will help us uh, make the wrong decisions in our lives to benefit them. That it's almost always a scam. That in fact, um, the, the tobacco never did feminism any good, but it certainly did hurt the lives of many women. And so that was, there's that bait and switch. We're selling you celebrityhood and what you get is lung cancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is the way that that capitalism and propaganda operate. 
But the other side of it is, is that we have been propagandized our whole lives for so long that a lot of the stuff feels normal and natural for us. And so instead of waking up to recognize, hey, wait a minute, getting in that school means I'm much more likely to get caught in that net. And maybe my safety and security is to take a hike. <laughs> yeah. And this is the part of the teaching of the Buddha is to recognize how our instinctual behavior that actually it's the attachments he calls to rights, rules and rituals of the way that things should be is actually what Eric Byrne calls the superego. Actually, no, he calls it the parent ego state. It's Freud who calls it the superego in the sense of that, the authority within us that stands over us, telling us what to do, where to go. And then the, the natural child within us rebels against that. Yeah, And so the parent ego state uh, is there telling us to go do this. And then we say, no, I don't want to do it. And people will wind up in that dialogue within their own mind about, do I do it? Do I come? Do I go? Do I go? Do I stay? And that whole dialogue gets started in, in, in one's mind uh, that leads to confusion that we don't need to do it all. We can wake, wake up to that. And this is, in fact, uh, the dialogue is based upon what we talked about before, and that is the critical mind, the critical thinking. That whole nine yards of critical thinking is what we have brought into in the sense of the products that are sold is, is that women, you want to be suffragettes? You really want to do something grand? Then here, buy my cigarettes. I mean, it's always like, that's stupid, right? (laughs) And yet, this is how we have bought it. And that we can, uh, one by one as they occur, we can recognize those things as what they are, only if one thing is going on. And that is, is that we see things clearly, because what we're actually looking at is our own critical mind, which is is the story of Adam and Eve. The reason that Adam and Eve got thrown out of paradise was why they had to live with the results of the knowledge of good and evil. Eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil means that they had to put up with their own judgmental nature. If you go around judging this is good and this is bad, then we will cling to the good and shun the bad. And by doing that, we create all kinds of mess, especially if we turn that whole mechanism inside. And so you're not good enough here. And then you say, oh, I'm so proud of this. And so we go back and forth on the inside between winner and loser and winner and loser. Yeah, it's just a lot of unnecessary confusion and suffering. It kind of takes you away from what what you want anyway, doesn't it? And it it does. And yeah. we learned that behavior from the society that has the bait and switch in it. Always, are you up to scratch? Do you have what it takes to take what I've got? 
that's kind of the thing. And then when you have what it takes to take what I've got, you get something else instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is the whole show that we get stuck in. And so we wind up being critical of ourselves inside. We actually pull that deal. Do you have on the interior to do what mom tells you to do? And the answer is, really, the reality is, is that why do I have this mom in my head telling me what to do all the time? Why do I play those old tapes? We use the word old tape, by the way, when I was studying psychology, but Barry Byrne was already very popular then talking about the superego of, of Eric Freud, we would uh, um, vocalize as just old memories, old tapes, old ways of doing things, especially the way things should do. Yeah, yeah. What well, kind of psychology did you study? Uh, uh, it was mostly TA oriented. But it was quite eclectic in the sense that uh, we had a lot of uh, nationally known figures, who people who were writing books and whatnot like that. Uh, we had oh, people may not know them now, but uh, for instance, NLP. Have you ever heard of NLP? Okay, Bander and Grinder came often to give. Uh, uh, weekend retreats, lectures, open talks, things like that, and were always hosted by Huron Valley Institute. It was that kind of thing. So there was a lot of people who came through. It was all about the money, but at that time I had enough, and so I paid in my bills. And and and, and, and wow, was it educational? <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's it's useful, kind of that kind of psychology, or do you think the things like the 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 Dharma that you're teaching now is, has got more to offer? I would say offhand that psychology used correctly has a lot of stories to tell that fit in with the Dhamma, but that psychology in and of itself, very, very few psychologists ever become completely finished with their own psychotherapy. There's always more to go and more to be, and we ain't done yet here, and uh, perpetuation off into the future. And that goes directly against the grain of the teachings of the Buddha in the sense that you want to be free? Drop that stuff right now and be free at least for a little while. And the longer you can do it, the better the freedom. And if you forget and fall back into your own prism, crawl right back out of it again. All we have to do is keep cleaning the mind. And that is so radical that even psychotherapy hasn't quite caught up to that yet. Yeah, because I've noticed with uh, some of my friends are in psychotherapy at the moment. And it kind of seems to me that it is helping them, but they're also they also seem quite heavy as well. Like it, it seems like they they're kind of, like, oh, I'm doing this because this happened and in the past and. It, it kind of it feels, there's a heaviness there to it instead lot, of like letting it go. And there that's kind of what I've noticed. There is a lot of uh, scab scratching. Yeah, like it kind of just feels like they they go over and over and over things instead of just kind of letting it they go. Don't, they don't let yeah. them heal. 
the right yeah. way to let scabbed over area heal. Uh, that is, if it's if it's cleaned out and there's no pus. If there is pus or or a, a growth in there, a blackhead or internal hairs or whatever like that, that's to be as foreign material removed, just like the foreign material in our brain to take that stuff out. But old memories then just need to be healed by putting some sap on them and leave them alone and let them heal on their own. But within psychotherapy because people don't deal with their feelings and emotions directly, it is common in psychology to do what is called psychological archaeology, which means that we go back into the past trying to find out the reason or rationale. Well, guess what? Even if we figure it out, that's not going to help us. No, what it is is that over time, no matter what event it was, Whatever it was, we kept repeating that same feeling over and over again. So now we've got it as a habit built up. This is why we mean by uh, uh, compounded things. The word Sankara does have the quality of compounded, but that compoundedness has to do with doing things over and over and over again, almost like winding tape onto a roll. Right? We get layer after layer after layer after layer after layer of it. So who, who, what? What we need to do is cut through all those layers rather than focus on how did all of this stuff get started. So, yeah, and how we unravel it is not by going to the center of it and working from the inside out in that regard. And the deeper the past you go to, the easier it'll be to unravel it all rather the way to uh, manage it. Is, is that as it bubbles up, as it comes up, as it comes into consciousness and we are watching and waiting for it, we can whack that thing off right then and there. And eventually, very soon, it has no strength and withers away. Yeah, I know. I see what you mean. I think for some people, I think, um, I'm not saying this is the only way of doing it, but I think they they find it easier to be kind of compassionate with themselves when they understand why they're acting in a certain way that's what i've heard from oh, some people oh, so, so they find once they yeah so once they, they understand some to forgive themselves yeah yeah exactly okay. so yeah once they understand why they get i don't know angry at every time something triggers them or whatever they find it easier to kind of be kind to that and let it go instead of being more angry at the anger, if that makes sense. While some people do take solace in that, other people cling to it as the reason for why they are the way that they are. Yeah, that's what, so, yeah. And, so in either case, it doesn't matter whether they're monking around in the past or not. What really matters is, do they give themselves the choice to change? And if they do, the only time they can change is right now. Yeah. This is the time to change. We can't make a, uh, uh, let us say, an appointment. <laughs> yeah. And the idea is that you would use kind of say right attitude to to be kind to that anyway, regardless, you know. Well, uh, 
psychological archaeology is dangerous, but it is one of the favorite techniques. And like I said, some people do get solace out of that. But the important question is, is, is their knowledge of what happened way back when enough to give them, a, what do you call it, gumption or mojo or something to take on the right effort to make a change in their life? This yeah. is... This is actually where a lot of people refer to is rock bottom. And that many organizations and places, Christians, uh, uh, Salvation Army, AA, all talk about people hitting the rock bottom. And this is actually even uh, referred to in some places uh, with, within Buddhism that is now being referred to as the dark night of the soul which actually is listed as fear, misery, despair, disgust, and strong desire for escape. All right. So the reason why people get themselves into states like that is, is because whether they're in the process of waking up or not, they're still not making a change. They're still wrapping the old stuff uh, through iteration grinding those habits stronger and stronger and stronger, whether they're aware of what they're doing or not. Okay. And that the normal way that I talk about that, uh, funny enough, is to talk about someone standing on the road. And while you're standing on the road, you see a truck coming. It may be even blaring its horn. There's three things that you can possibly do is one is to stand there and let it run over you. The second thing is, is to put your fist up, say, you know, you don't. This is my place and get run over anyway. But this time, at least you're pretending to be strong. And the third option is to just merely stand out of the way. Let it pass. Yeah. Let it go. All right. So in the analogy of winding things onto a spool, then the one who gets run over is the one who just spins that spool one more time, going one more layer into uh, uh, mental illness, basically. Following the old pattern, following the old rule, doing what they were told to do, going along to get along, is all of that stuff wrapped up in there. Or uh, we can try to stop it completely, and we can't do that, and we feel like a failure. But the method of the Buddha has nothing to do with how hard you work. Whether you pass or fail, the answer is, is, can you get out of the game? And the way that we do that is to wake up and see this thought is unwholesome. And that's the whole keeps me in the game. This is one of those critical thoughts. Is it yes? Is it no? Is it up? Is it down? And we can throw that thought out and go back to a nurturing thought. In that regard, the, if the psychology uh, client would learn that, then they don't have to go digging way deep in the past to get consolation. But in fact, uh, one of the uh, important teachers that came to visit uh, Huron Valley Institute that I was telling you about uh, before was a woman who had the three Ps. I forget her name, but this is so long ago. It was 50 years ago. Please forgive me. I don't remember this one. <laughs> but she had the three Ps that I use often. And that is, uh, within psychotherapy, she called it permission, protection, and potency. Okay? Potency is the power 
or the right effort that a student will have, but that they need to know that this is helpful to them in the sense that they need uh, protection. In other words, they need to understand that feeling safe is good feeling, that you don't have to just pretend to feel safe while things are really dangerous. No, things really are not dangerous. This is an example of what I mean by um, uh, protection. But the third one is the big issue for most, and that is the uh, permission. Do you have permission to give yourself the benefit that you have been per, um, forbidden to give it to yourself all of your life because you never have met the goal yet? The goal, wherever it is, is always out in front of you. So you're always chasing a rainbow or always. Can you give yourself permission to just take the goal and say, thank you very much, Mr. Universe. I'll sit down and rest now on my laurel. OK, that in a way is a, just another metaphor for what we're talking about here is to come out of our own critical thinking and take benefit out of the fact that we put down the shovel and rake because we are now finished with the work. How do we know we're finished with the work? Not because somebody else says this is a field and you got to do this, that, and the other thing to it. We put down the, rev uh, the, the shovel and the weight because we recognize that we're not getting anywhere when we use these darn tools. And so we don't matter what condition it is, the change is in the attitude that I don't have to do this anymore. I could sit down and relax. But in our minds, we keep saying, oh, you can't be lazy. I told you to go rake the yard, go mow the grass, do what you're told to do. I was a boy, sorry. <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Go hoe the garden. That was another one. So, um, yeah, while it instills worth ethic in the kid, it also robs the kid of the satisfaction because they never quite get enough benefit. And so the question is, do you have, how to say it, do you have the gumption to go ahead and claim your prize? Do you have permission within yourself to actually become the winner that you've always promised yourself you would be if you only did this, that, and the other thing? Yeah. Yeah. To have permission to be okay. You really are. And you need to give yourself permission to feel, yeah, you're all right. You're okay. Everything is hunky-dory. You've already won the game. Yeah. You've already won the game and you're alive and you're happy and you're well. And there's no more competition. There's no more uh, com competing or job to do because you're already successful at life. 
All of this working and striving was what the society wanted you to do. And when you step out of that role, you recognize all the way into it that, hey, you've been abused by that hurting instinct that was scary inside. And as kids, there was a lot of fear. Now we can actually wise our way out of it. We can think our way. We can see our way. The fact that there's nothing dangerous here. Nothing. <laughs> this place is really safe. So why don't I allow myself to feel really safe? That's yeah. the way we begin to think. Everything is all right right now. We don't need to go fix anything because nothing I see right now is broken. And so that's the nurturing way of, of doing it is protect yourself from having to do anything. Just allow yourself to be free. This is what freedom is all about. Yeah. Recently, we've been playing with the word lazy. My dad used that word on me. Did he? And he wanted me to cut the grass <laughs> <laughs> or to rake the yard <laughs> or when grandma wanted me to flower or to hoe the garden. Yes, I know that word. A and I wore it as if there was something wrong about it and it took me a long time to figure out that wait a minute this is part of the teaching of the buddha that we need to look at this word lazy because lazy is something who uh is is a word disused by those who were trying to exploit you yeah i didn't want to cut the grass my dad wanted me to cut the grass because he wanted me to cut the grass he called me lazy it's a word of exploitation so what's a better way to do it then? Because obviously there are kind of practical things that needs to be done. Well, the thing of it is then is if the, if you have the freedom to do what you want to do, then you start doing things that you want to do. And part of that is decide, the, for instance, if you're employed, do you actually enjoy that job? If you don't enjoy the job, then either find a way to enjoy it or find another job that you do enjoy. But why do something you don't like to do just because you started doing things that you don't like to do when you were a kid. You don't have to do things you don't want to do anymore. Yeah. Isn't that freedom? Now that's freedom. <laughs> that's, it's almost so mad. It's, it's almost magical. This is one of the secrets of reality is, is that you do not have to follow the old rules at all. There is really only one rule that's really worth following. Just one. One rule in your whole life, and that word is the same word as the entire teaching of the Buddha wrapped up into one little ball, and that is dukkha, dukkha naroda. And so when you see that following the rules is more work than not following the rules, then you stop following that set of rules, or that rule at least, at least right now. It's wise to keep your eyes open. But we're looking at the end of suffering and the end of turmoil, including the end of doing things that we don't want to do anymore. We never did want to do it, but we were doing it because we thought we would get some future benefit out of it. And we've always felt bad doing that job. And the likelihood of feeling good about that job is very remote unless I change my own attitude about it. Yeah. And so now that's what we begin to understand. Oh, and that attitude can only be changed one time right now. 
because it now keeps moving, so does that change. The change keeps moving and keeps moving so that every time that we remember, we can enjoy the moment. Every moment, you can enjoy the moment. All we have to do is stop the critical machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and let the warm, fuzzy, gushy, uh, uh, Gucci, Gucci, um, uh, nurturing motherliness. Believe me, the, the human race needs a mother. They really do. That's yeah. your job now. <laughs> <laughs> so start mothering the world. But the first place to start it is to mother yourself. Give yourself permission. It's okay for you to change roles from Olivia, the girl who doesn't know quite her way in the world, into Queen Olivia, the reigning monarch of her own life. <laughs> they become emperor. To give yourself permission to be that potent. Be the absolute emperor of your own pile of dirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But to do that, that means that what's the pile of dirt? The pile of dirt is all the rights, rules, rituals, and all the woulds, shoulds, coulds, and all of that kind of stuff. And we've got a new standard now. And that standard is, in this moment, it's time to feel good. In this moment, I choose not to go into that unwholesome pile of dirt. I choose to stay on top of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. And so we take a big breath of air, deep breath, and say, wow, this is really nice to be on top of the world. And in a way, this is what we mean by the supramundane dhamma, which is actually the translation of the words of Lokatara, to be above it all. And what are we above? We're actually above all the rights, rules, rituals, shoulds, woulds, coulds, ways of doing things, society's norms, uh, jobs to do, all of that kind of stuff that is so critical to our existence. And I mean that backwards from the way most people will hear it. <laughs> it's not critical because we need it. It's critical in the sense that it makes our existence in a state of crisis. Right. So when we get rid of all of that stuff, we can say, hey, right now is wonderful. Okay. But we have to let that past, we have to let all of that stuff go. And you can see that in this century from the uh, uh, that documentary of the century of the self that's on YouTube, that documentary points out that that manipulation that has been there in the human race for thousands of years has now finally hit high gear. And Western civilization is very, very much under the thumb of uh, people who know how to manipulate them through media. Yeah. 
and that you and I have been manipulated under that media for so many years, we don't even know that we are anymore. And so now it's time to really wake up and figure out what's really going on here, because most of my assumptions about what's going on is actually subject to dukkha, subject to despair, subject to not knowing. Mm. But if we wake up, take a look, we can recognize, well, really, that's the only thing we have to work on, and that is, is to find dukkha and remove it. Stop following all the rules. This, by the way, is actually a part of unraveling our own personality, because all of these uh, personality traits that we're talking about here, this parent ego state, uh, is a major aspect of one's personality. So when we unravel that, we begin to recognize that our whole personality starts to unravel, that we are not who we thought we were. But the question is, who we are is not really important. What's really important is for us to figure out who we are not. So right. in that regard, these are the first two fetters, the unraveling of the personality view by untangling the, uh, uh, our attachments to rights, rules, and rituals and the way things that we should do in order to define who we think we should be. Once we untangle that, now we can just relish in whatever it is right now without having to label it as me or even define it. We can just experience it without having to define who this is anymore. This is part of the aspect of giving permission to oneself is in the sense that what's happening right now, this is a new person, not the same person as it was before. This person has permission. This person has protection. This person has the power to make the change. And so this is also within the context of the Buddha, the right attitude to take on this winner's attitude that I can do this. I can clean out the mind and no longer be subject to my own past. That I can live in this present moment. And do it happily too. Wow, marvelous present this is. <laughs> Which yeah. is now you don't have to live up to the standards that you thought you'd set for yourself. All yeah. the goals and aspirations that you ever set for yourself have only done you one thing, and that is to make you feel bad because you didn't get what you wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so when we give up all of our goals and aspirations and just allow ourselves to be how we feel right to now, we begin to feel marvelous quite a lot. Yeah. And so mucking around in the past trying to figure out how things got started is not necessarily productive at all. It can be if it gives the person inspiration to start making some changes now. To say, by golly, I know what happened back then, and I'm not going to be affected by that anymore. That's bango. That's what the, the therapist should be shooting for at the end of every session where they're doing psychological archaeology, is to take that episode as the power that they need to get out of it. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I see. Yeah. Now, you can do that in reverse in the sense of the way that you're conversing and talking to your friend or your friends. When they're talking about that, you can gently nudge them in the direction of, wow, I bet you feel like you're empowered now to get out of that stuff. They'll say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, and I suppose that's the best way to help it. them, really, isn't it? To mm-hmm. nudge them towards that. Yeah. Is to acknowledge that it's going to be valuable and that they can use that to empower themselves with and you and by saying it that way, you also give them your permission. So that permission then can rub off when they feel like that they've got both the power and the permission to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when they feel safe, which can be in the next statement. (laughs) Something like, wow, I bet you'll feel a whole lot better after you finish with this. (laughs) And that takes the fear out of it. And now you've got all three of them, the power, the protection and the permission. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Hey, it does. Good. It does make sense. <laughs> yes. And that's one of the things that has been missing for you. So now that's why I'm I'm pointing this out for you that not only is this useful for you in your own life, but this is useful for you in the dialogue that you have with, with other people. This is part of what we mean by meta, is the very nice, wonderful insights and things that we've learned in our own mind. We can use that as newfound uh, ammunition. Yeah. Rubber bullets, <laughs> or, or, or maybe even blubber. <laughs> blubber bullets. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's not blubber, it's flubber. That's the word, that's the old word. <laughs> so anyway, um, this is the thing then, is, is that uh, for you to give yourself permission that it really is okay for you to feel like that you've already done everything you needed to do. You don't have to feel like things are unfinished. Mm-hmm. You can just relax. I mean, the life is going to take care of itself. Yeah, there's going to be incoming emails, but you can handle them at a later time. Right now, everything is fine. If you yeah. get into the mindset that everything right now is wonderful, then when something does come in like that incoming, then you can say it again. Yeah, everything's fine. Because you've gotten a habit. Mostly we're in the habit of duck and cover, and so we duck and cover uh, not even when emails come in, but when we even think of emails come in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we need to wake up to that and recognize that we don't have to run and duck and cover with imaginary emails. We don't even have to run and duck and cover with the real ones. That we're the we're the lion here. We're the one who runs this life. We're the emperor. Yeah, this is Queen Elizabeth, <laughs> Queen Olivia talking here. <laughs> this is Mother Nature herself on the line. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So this is kind of the confidence that we're talking about is giving yourself permission to really be on top of your own life, that you're not um, going to let yourself be buried under your own criticism. And every time that you start criticizing yourself, you can see that it's just another teaspoon of dirt. And you don't have to live in your own dirt. You can rise right above it. Thought yeah. by thought by thought. Every time you start adding that criticism, you say, wait a minute here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, this has been really good. Good chat. Great. I'm glad that you count. I really like our talks. Yeah. Good to too. see you again. And I really like to see your smiling face now. Wow, you've made a change. That's excellent. <laughs> okay. Well, I will see you soon. And yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Queen Olivia, we will see you again. <laughs> All right. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.